Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. I'm just kidding. I'm always, I'm always like super impressed with the creativity of the staff here at River Valley Ranch. And honestly, it's something special because I've spoken at camps in a lot of states and stuff and River Valley Ranch, when it comes to creativity, there's skits and shadow puppetry or whatever it was we just saw, which is really awesome, um, just outshines almost every camp I've ever been to. So if you ever hear of a camp I've been to, don't tell them I said that because I'd like to go back there too. But it's, it's pretty awesome here. Um, before we like dive in, where's Logan? It's his birthday. All right, Logan, did they tell you to sit on the front row? Stand up real quick. All right, were you named after Wolverine? Oh, that's a shame. So, um, but you can still say, I have the same name as Wolverine, all right? So I'm going to do like the quickest song. This is your birthday song. It doesn't last too long. Thanks. All right. Give him a big hand. All right. Awesome sauce. His, his friend set him up. All right. You can have a seat. Yeah, I know. It is a really short song. Um, but we don't have a lot of time. I'd love to sing the, the, the third and fourth stanza, but um, we'll hold this till later. All right. So tonight we're talking about the unraveling. And uh, it's, you're like, wait, we've been talking about building this tapestry the whole time. Now we're going to just dismantle it. No, the, the unraveling of God's picture that he meant from the beginning to be this perfect world where we shine the image of God to everybody in existence and we start pulling at it. It's so easy to be distracted. Maybe you've been distracted this entire weekend so far. Sometimes we're distracted because other people distract us. Sometimes we're distracted because we're distracting ourselves on purpose because we don't want God to say something uncomfortable that might require a change. When I started in ministry, I was at a really tiny little church. It was white and stained glass windows and a steeple. Maybe it resembles yours. Maybe it resembles one you drive past on a regular basis. Really small. You could open the back doors and there was the street. All right, if you were sitting in the back three pews, if you don't have pews in your church, those are benches, all right? If you're sitting in the back three benches and a tractor trailer came by when somebody came in late, the hymnal would like, you'd have to hold onto the pages or you'd be on a completely different song, all right? That's how like small this church was. And my pastor, he was very short. His last name was Smeltz, which is a horrible name for anybody. I'm surprised he got through elementary school. Um, so his <laughs> pastor Smeltz, what was that? You know, probably Smeltz, you know, anyways, um, Really great guy. I'm not downing him. He just said a weird last name. We talked about it before. He was like, yeah, it was hard. So um, he was really short. We were the opposite. Okay, so I'm tall and I was skinny at the time. I'm not as skinny now. I'm not even sure I could qualify for the zip line anymore. Um, right, right around that weight. Some of you feel my pain or carry around my pain, whatever, um, <laughs> if we're in the same boat there. Um, but he would like, he's short and not skinny. So we look like the number 10 together and uh, just standing up on the platform. And he always had that tie really tight. And if he really got preaching good, his face would turn beet red. And I remember one time there were several kids we had, I knew hadn't made a decision to follow Christ, mainly because they told me that they hadn't. And that's like, it was a telltale sign. I was, I was a quick guy. And they're like, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm just checking out this Jesus thing. And they're tracking with him. I'm watching this from my pew and I'm watching, there's other people sleeping and stuff. And that's okay. But these two kids that I've been praying for, they're not sleeping. And, and Pastor Smeltz is up there and he's beaten the pulpit and it's a big pulpit and everything. 
and he's preaching and everything. He's not angry. He just always kind of has that vibe. And he's reading about the gospel and he's talking about how much Jesus loves us and how he saved us from our sins and we can just come to him and everything. And I'm like praying, God, please help these two guys to pay attention because we're so easily distracted. Satan wants to unravel every little thing that we can do and he uses social media and our phones and, oh, I have to go to the bathroom and, oh, this person's pretty and is that guy balding? You know, that's why I always try to sit in the front, not the back because maybe he doesn't know yet. And I'm wondering that the rest of us, maybe he doesn't know what's happening in this general area. And um, anyway, so we had a ceiling tiles and like these nice chandeliers that came down from the ceiling tiles. There were a few holes in the ceiling tiles because it was a very old church. And out of a hole in the ceiling tile, while these two guys are really tracking with the gospel, comes um, Satan's umbrella, a wasp, you know, so they kind of fold up like that. You know, have you ever seen a wasp? Like they're just, they're kind of going around like that and looking horrible. And I'm trying to think, I see this come down and it starts going over the crowd, kind of comes near me. I notice the wasp. I move out of the way of the wasp and I get really distracted by the wasp. I'm stopped praying for these two kids over here because there's a wasp, folks. Don't judge me. All right, so I'm watching the wasp. I'm trying to think, are any of my kids allergic to bees? Are wasps even bees? Aren't they related to ants? I don't even, you know, I'm like thinking of all these things because I have ADHD, LMNOP, and, uh, and I'm like, how am I going <laughs> to... Where are we even at here? So it it swoops down over some of my kids, and I'm starting to notice the rest of the crowd is beginning to notice the wasp. And the kids are like, and all the pastor hears is like, ha! And that's kind of like how he ends a lot of sentences anyway, like like Moses, ha! In the wilderness, ha! You know, everything. And so people are like, ha! And he's like, yeah! And so he keeps going. No one's saying amen, mind you. It's just that they seem really into it, and so he gets more into it. And I'm afraid, like, the tie's a little too tight. He's getting red and everything. I'm like, if he dies of a heart attack because there's a wasp in here, (laughs) this isn't going to be good. And so the wasp is going all over the place and everything, and, 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 and kids are ducking, and they're, they're diving, and people would look really into it. I'm sure from his perspective, it was the best sermon he ever preached. And then he closed in prayer, and he was the only one, I believe, that closed their eyes. As the wasp continues, it's, it's taunting rampage, never stinging anyone, but just flying close enough. I don't know if some of the people who are starting to bald look like landing strips or not, but he observed and checked out every possible landing place, and people were looking like, like I'm going to get the hymnal. I'm going I'm to take it. <laughs> I'm going to take this, this wasp out of here. Evil, evil Satan. What has he done? And it didn't hit me until afterwards when we were like, oh my gosh, did you see the wasp? that I've been praying for two guys to hear the gospel and a wasp kept that from happening. I don't believe it was possessed by Satan or anything like that. I don't. It was just a wasp. And it hit me in that moment that we can be so easily distracted that you might have come in tonight and God wanted you to hear something specific. And it could be any number of distractions that could happen. Maybe you're being distracting right now to somebody else. And I'm not saying this because I see anybody being distracted, but I just know how it gets. It's a long weekend, you're tired, whatever. Somebody else has their phone out because they're like, you know what, I'm, not, I'm just checking out here. But now the whole row checks out because they're trying to see what your high score is or who that girl is or whoa, what's going on in that TikTok video. And if you guys could just do me a huge favor, actually do your, 
neighbors around you a huge favor. If you got like out of device or if, if you're just antsy and you feel like, ah, I can't do this. I mean, if you get really antsy and you're like, I can't sit that long, just stand in the back. I'll, I'll know that you're just, you've got the same thing I do and it'll be fine. All right. Cause I believe God has something to say to you. Um, when we're talking about like these guys who are on the screen here, um, the silhouettes, we're all distracted by different things, different pursuits in their life, all of them running after different things. I just wish we could kill the wasp sometimes in our life. And I don't mean kill the person distracting you. Please don't take that wrong, all right? But to get rid of, to identify distractions and then focus back in on what's important. Because that's where God has to have us in order for us to hear what he's trying to say to us. Otherwise, that unraveling starts to begin. In Ephesians 4, 3 and 4, we'll throw this on the screen. And then I've got some scripture I didn't throw on the screen because I feel like God laid it on my heart this afternoon. Make every effort to keep in the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is a one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope when you were called. See, unity is important. But unity just for unity's sake isn't necessarily important. If we're all unified in the common goal that we're going to kill somebody, all right? That's not necessarily a good unity. It depends on who the person, I mean, if it's Hitler. I mean, I mean, no, it's not a good unity, all right? If we're all unified in something that's not good, it's not a good unity. And there's this, this time in scripture where we see a, a counterfeit tapestry starting to form where man is trying to be the be-all, end-all instead of finding themselves in God and his, his warp thread going through the entire thing so that there's this common bond between everyone and it's Christ. Instead, humanity tried it on their own. And it's toward the beginning of the Bible. It's found in Genesis 11. You're gonna have to like listen closely because I don't have it on the screen because like I said, God laid it on my heart this afternoon to share this is after the flood. So after God like started over clean and people knew who he was, they decided to go their own route and make their own tapestry. It says in verse one, now the whole world had one language and one common speech. They were already unified in that. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used the brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And up until this point, people built with stone, but now they're like, we figured out the technology of bricks. This is going to be awesome. We're going to put this together. Now, all of this sounds like good stuff. They found some architects. They found some construction workers. Everybody's unified on this great project. But see, God had told them after the flood, spread out, multiply a number, fill the earth and subdue it or have dominion over it. Take care of it. Be stewards of it was the idea there that his his glory and his image would be seen everywhere, not just when you happen to come to this one town where they're unified on a building project. And so in disobedience to what God had asked humanity to do, they began this project. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. See, God told them to fill, up, fill the earth, to spread out, and they looked at it as a scattering. They already had negative connotations. We don't want to be just scattered. We don't want to have, we, we're, the strength in numbers. Let's stay. Let's do this. 
But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Now, this is comedy here in the Bible. If you don't read comedy into the Bible, I don't know what you're reading. So God is everywhere and he knows everything. God didn't have to come down to see what the people were building. He's letting us know that what they think is big is entirely small. Oh, let me come down and see what you're doing. Oh, isn't that cute? God steps down and says, oh, that, oh, the, oh, to the heavens. Wait, hold on. Holy Spirit, the magnifying glass. You know, like he comes down and looks not to burn it or anything, like an ant, you know. <laughs> but he comes down and he notices what they're doing. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. Some people have read this passage and be like, what does that mean? Like they're getting ready to develop superpowers. Like, like they're going to be, like if they're just, un, if humanity ever unifies that there'll be some sort of supernatural cosmic thing where they can do anything, that's not the understanding of what they're talking about. In other words, if they're going to rebel in this, they are going to discover all sorts of rebellion. And there won't be a sin that they're tempted by that they won't indulge in. They're about to go so far that I won't have a people among these people. And God confuses their language. And he, the, so the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth. I love that it says that, that Moses wrote scattered. That's what the people wanted because they left in disobedience instead of in repentance, they were scattered. God doesn't force obedience on us. He didn't say, fill the earth and subdue it. And then the people said, we don't want to be scattered. And then all of a sudden God says, I made them go fill the earth and subdue it. No, no, no. They begrudgingly went and did that. Have you ever heard obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with the right heart attitude? You ever heard that phrase before, right? So if your mom says like, do the dishes, they get in the dishwasher, get in the dishwasher, put everything in the dishwasher, right? And turn it on and do all that good stuff. And the whole time you're clanking dishes together, like, stupid, who in 20 dishes, you know, and all this stuff. You think you're done, and then they send you to all the bedrooms and the bathrooms and the nooks and crannies to recover mugs and cups and everything. And you're like, oh my gosh, why can't we just eat off of paper, you know? That's not really obeying, even though the job's getting done. They did get spread out to multiply, but... It was in disobedience, and so they begrudgingly drug their feet and were scattered all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. It's kind of hard to do when you're like, hand me the hammer, and they're like, parlez-vous français, or whatever, and you're like, I don't know what you're saying, dude, you know, like, and, and everybody's having different conversations there, and that is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused their language, and the language of the whole world, and from there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Then God calls somebody to himself and starts this awesome tapestry with a promise with this guy named Abraham. It's a beautiful story, but we get this, this opposite of the family of God. The New Testament's talking about us trying to build. You've got this unity that was taking place and it wasn't producing anything good. And God says, I want true unity. 
I'm coaching a, uh, an AAU basketball team. If you don't know what that is, it's a basketball team. And it doesn't matter what the letters stand for. It's really not that important. Anyway, so um, it's high school guys, so like 16 and younger. My son's on that team. Um, and then there's a bunch of other guys on the team as well. And I, ha- I happen to notice, and like some of you guys were talking to me about my son. Like, you're like, oh, he's pretty good at basketball and everything. And I don't like to toot my own horn or his own horn, but... Um, he is related to me. So um, I'm just joking. No. I was like, yeah, thanks. That's really cool. But here's the thing. Even, even as good as he is, and he's a pretty good basketball player, we got some good guys on our team. We have not done well this season. Like until recently, we didn't have any chemistry where we're actually doing well. And it's kind of frustrating as a coach, but I'm one of those coaches who are like, you know, Winning's not the only important thing. If we have fun, if we lose every game, you know what that, when we look back 20 years from now, we won't care. And like, I mean, it's like not that big of a deal to win. But I started noticing that like, right, we could lose by a lot. A team could stomp us. And then everybody comes up to me. I do the little meeting where we need to improve on this and we didn't get the rebounds and, you know, we need to work on our press break and everything. But guys, hold your heads up. You have nothing to be ashamed of. We left it all out on the court, coach, coach, nonsense. Anyways, and then, and then they're like, oh, can I see the book? And everybody's like taking turns looking at the stats as if like, whoa, look how many I scored. Look how many blocked shots I had. And all of it, led to a loss. Anyways, but like we're so, they were so concerned about their individual stats that it didn't really, is that a bug? Seriously? (laughs) How many of you noticed it before I said something? All right. I'll kill it if it gets low enough. All right. I'll eat it in front of you. No, I'm just kidding. So is it a wasp? No, there is a wasp. Oh, there's a wasp in here somewhere? All right. Well, if it gets close enough, I will snatch it out of the air. All right. So, oh my gosh. No. Okay. Shh. Remember, act like it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. I noticed after the last tournament we had, and we, we did really well in that tournament, and the last game we won by quite a bit and all this stuff, and um, my guys didn't ask for the book. They may have privately went and got it and stuff, but they were just celebrating together what they had accomplished together. And we start looking at the Christian life that way, instead of individual, like an individual sport, like we're just playing ping pong or something. No, this is a team sport. And God is rooting for us. He's not just the coach, but he's that parent in the stands, rooting you on, cheering you on. Maybe you're not a sports person. He's, he's cheering for the marching band thing you just did or the piano recital or the art project or the science fair thing or fill in the blanks. Or he's like, wow, you really got far in that video game or whatever. Like he's excited about what you're excited about. That's what he wants us to accomplish together. In Ephesians 2, 14 through 17, it says, For he is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Let me stop right there for a second so we can unpack that. He is our peace. He took two different groups that were divided. (laughs) And he took the the barrier between them out of it. As he brings more people into the kingdom tapestry, more people that didn't know him before, and starts weaving them into it, removing the barrier that was keeping them out of it, 
in the first place. Did anybody get to go through the prayer room today? Anybody do that? At the very end of the prayer room, there's a part, it's harder than it looks. Cause I was like, I don't think I made it all the way across, like halfway across. But the, uh, you would actually do the, the weft where you're taking it through and like press it down a little bit and all that. And I don't know what the picture's gonna be when we're done or if it is even a picture when we're done. Uh, Cause I don't know the original design, but I was thinking about, wow, if nobody comes behind me and keeps going, it won't get done. And you can notice, like, if we just left out one line out of something, nobody would probably notice. But if, if several hundred weft are left out of a tapestry, people are going to look at that tapestry as incomplete. They're going to be like, wait, there's something missing with this picture here. When you feel insignificant... When you feel small, like it doesn't really matter what you contribute or anything like that, it makes our tapestry incomplete because your contributions are worthwhile. They're important. They're pre-planned. They're part of God's will for you. Part of your purpose that you exist for. Now, how does he do that? How does he get rid of that barrier? It says in verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he puts to death their hostility. We had hostility towards God. Even if we don't feel like we did, we had that because we were, it's like diametrically opposed to him with this huge barrier called sin in front of us where we couldn't have a relationship with him. And he put it to death on the cross. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. To those following Jesus right now, he wants to give you peace. To those who have yet to come into the kingdom tapestry and join the family of God and be part of that body of Christ that is the temple of the Holy Spirit, he wants to give you peace. And you might think, well, what does that mean? We're just not going to fight anymore. We're all going to be la di da No, no, no. In a society that is riddled with, and a generation that is riddled with anxiety, he says, do you want, just want a little rest? Most of our anxiety comes from pursuing things that maybe are just our own. Things that we've decided that we want to pursue. And then the rat race of trying to finish those things up. And sometimes it's put on us by somebody else. And you get that pressure to succeed, that pressure to perform, that pressure to live up to, that pressure to do this, the pressure to do that. And he recognizes that all the things we can do on our own, the book of Isaiah says, are just the good things we could do are filthy rags. Filthy rags. Because God never designed us to do good works without being in Christ Jesus. Without him working through us and living through us. I have no idea how many of you guys have come in this week that maybe never really understood what it was to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't get it. Maybe you thought going to church was the thing. That was, that was it. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm cool because, because I, I go to church. I, had a, I, I heard a guy one time and he was pretty wealthy and he said his, his son, he overheard his son saying, we're rich to another kid. And he stopped him. He's like, whoa, we're not rich. I'm rich. You know, like to just put him in his place right there. Right. And it was like one of those, like, you don't realize this, like, but you, if your parents are believers, your grandma's a believer, whatever, you go to a church that are full of believers, it doesn't make us a believer. That's a personal thing that we have. If we've turned from our sins and committed our life to Jesus Christ and stepped into that. 
Anybody can have faith and God's given a measure of faith to everybody. All of you came in just about. There's a few sitting on the floor. Faithless vagabonds at the back. I'm just kidding. No. All of you had faith in these chairs, all right? And you sat down, even though you don't know if these chairs would hold you. And probably some of you have broken chairs before. Or the chair broke. It's somebody else got it, you know, weakened at first. And then you ended up on the ground. But we have faith because normally chairs hold us. And we've seen it enough to trust that it'll keep going. It's the same way with God. We've seen enough of what he does to be able to trust him and to put our faith in him. If you just said, I trust those chairs, but you never sat in one because you were not quite sure, it's not real faith. We've got to actually place our faith, not just say we believe something, but put our trust in the one who gave everything for you. I know we've got all kinds of denominations here, different churches that help you out different ways when it comes to understanding this element of the gospel and how to surrender your life. And they know your history better than I do. I, I've been so frustrated over the years with some of the kids that I've had at youth where I'm like, oh my gosh, they just became a Christian again. You know, like, I mean, like every trip, every camp, I, I, I don't want you to walk through life with zero assurance that Jesus is going to hold up his end of the deal because uh, he's pretty good with promises. He's got a great track record on promises. Any promise that he hasn't fulfilled yet is a future promise and usually found in the book of Revelation. Everything else, like he's already done it. We can trust him with that. But you've got youth leaders with you that came with you they can help you understand this. And my encouragement as we go into our small groups in just a few minutes, there's a, there's a question on there where we ask this question and it can be a rhetorical thing. Maybe you know your kids really well and you're not like, I, 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 I know that the kids, I've had personal conversations with all of them. I know where they stand spiritually. I've had some personal conversations with students too before and totally thought like I would have I would have bet money on it if I would have lost my job at some of the churches I've worked at for betting. You know, like that this kid is really a follower and then come to find out in conversations with them a couple years down the road, they really faked it. Like it just, it blows my mind, like the stuff that goes on. But um, to have these conversations with your students and if someone wants to come to Christ, I would love to find out that that happened so if you have some of those conversations and somebody decides to commit their life to Christ, like this tapestry, I told you the story about my, my, my son Ezra because it's, to me, seeing God move in, in cool ways is really awesome. You know, my dad was at a funeral one time and he was talking to another guy that he hadn't seen since I graduated high school. And he had a conversation with this guy and he says, hey, um, what's your son doing now? And he said, uh, my son uh, works at a camp. And he said, well, what's your son doing? He said, he speaks at camps and stuff. And, and it turns out that a guy who works here named Dan Steele graduated high school with me. I hadn't seen him since high school. I didn't even know he was working up here. I didn't know anything about River Valley Ranch. And he brought me in and I told my wife, hey, this camp's asking me to come. This is back in 2015. And she's like, that's where my mom accepted Christ in 1965. That's where my brother-in-law worked in 1986. It's where my wife went every Saturday. They used to have like chuck wagon thing up on the hill where they would eat and they'd have like a rodeo day and stuff like that. She would come with her family and I was like, what is going on? Then my daughter accepted Christ here just a few years ago. And I see like this place has been, played a huge role in my family's life. It's not a mistake. 
I was uh, just the first day, Friday, I ran into Rachel, where are you at? Is she back there somewhere? Rachel, what's your last name? Swan? You didn't change much of it. It was Smith. Okay, stand up real quick. She's, her husband, where's your husband at? What's his name again? Okay, sorry. I wasn't invited to the wedding, so I couldn't remember the uh, <laughs> name of your husband. I'm just kidding. So here's, the, here's, here's my connection to her. She was in middle school. She's married, and her husband's a youth pastor now. I don't know why they're not sitting together. I don't know the marital details or anything. <laughs> but I'm sure it's great. The divide and conquer. Somebody needed to be sat with is what's going on, I can tell. Yeah, so if you're sitting next to the youth pastor or the youth pastor's wife, you know, kill the wasp, behave. Anyways. <laughs> so she ran into me like she was in a middle school Bible club at a public school in our area where I was the assigned campus pastor for that when she was in middle school. That will make you feel kind of old. Anyways. Um, and, and just to see that she's here now and she's involved in ministry and our, our paths crossed once again, but here at River Valley Ranch, her sister is a senior in my youth group right now. And uh, I wasn't the youth pastor at that church at the time either. So like, what, you know? I mean, all of this stuff just kind of crossing over just goes ahead. It shows me, I just, every once in a while, God lets me back up a little bit and see a little bit more of what he's doing in this tapestry. And I'm like, well, this is gonna be really cool when he's done. And I'm just such a small part of it. And you could see all of the other things he's doing and maybe your convergence with coming to know Jesus and joining that tapestry, maybe that overlaps River Valley Ranch as well. And maybe, maybe your story and my story are all part of his story intertwined. And that's something we have in common as well. Like the, the commonality of Jesus running through the whole thing is a beautiful thing. So let me pray for you tonight. I want to pray specifically if you're wrestling with this, of whether to trust Jesus with your life and, and follow the path he has for you. I promise it's so much better because he, he promises to go with us through it. Even the Great Commission has that promise in it. Because he said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which is great, right? So the Holy Spirit can work and live with us. And Jesus goes and he sits at the right hand of the Father. But then he promises his personal abiding presence to those who are sharing the gospel. He says, go into the whole world and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you the whole time, even if the world ends, or even to the end of the age, or even to the end of the world, depending on the translation you're looking at. Either way, the part that doesn't change is I'm with you the whole time. That's a huge promise. You get the Holy Spirit speaking through you as you share Jesus, and you get Jesus being with you, and you get God the Father uh, coming into relationship with people be through Jesus and what he did. And this huge beauty of the Trinity lived out in the body of Christ, which is what we are. So that Jesus, he doesn't leave and come back one day. And he did leave and he is coming back. But in the meantime, he's alive and working here because he calls us his body, not the substitute body. Not like, ah, I'm out for a few weeks. I'm bringing a substitute in. Please treat her nice. No spitballs, right? No, this is the body of Christ. Until he returns physically, we are him, his hands and feet to the world. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for each person here, Lord. I know that there are probably people under the sound of my voice right now who've not stepped into a relationship with you for whatever reason. I don't know their story. I know mine. 
I know my middle school years and my freshman year of high school of wrestling of whether you're even real as an agnostic, as a school bully, as all the things that you took me out of and I'm the opposite of now. Lord, be real to them the way you were to me. That they would understand and feel your presence here with us. That God, we would cease from trying to live life our way. And we would look for the way that you set out before us, God. Breaking the barrier of sin between us and you. Lord, thank you so much for dying on the cross for us to take care of that barrier, to take a hammer in the shape of a cross to a wall of sin. And thank you for raising from the dead to overpower death so it doesn't have the final word on a believer. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. We thank you that you're a God that didn't just come and die in one week, come as an adult and die, but you lived a life here as a human being to recognize our struggles and the things that we struggle with to be tempted in every way that we're tempted yet to hold back from doing any sin so that you could die a perfect sinless death for us. And we thank you for that. I pray that the unity we have won't just be unity for unity's sake, but it will be unity with the common thread of Jesus Christ running through the whole thing. Bless the conversations we're about to have. Lord, quiet our hearts if there's something, some lie we're believing about what other people will think if we have these conversations, help us to push it to the side like a distraction, like a wasp, like something insignificant that does not matter because you are calling. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for being so attentive. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.